0: <laughs> well thanks ever so much I really appreciate um, you taking the time to do this well the first I think the first question I asked you because I've been really I've been reading Stuart Murray Williams sort of uh, thinking and he's talked about how monasticism he's looked at church history and looked at major epoch changed and seen and he kind of analyses that some form of monasticism has been very important to help the church translate from one cultural epoch to another Yeah. Um, is that something you agree with?
1: I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. I would, um, and and then when it comes to tying it down, that's where I got into a bit more trouble. <laughs> but I mean, the the whole business of Benedict, mm. he was reacting very strongly against the growing clericalism of the church mm. in the fifth century. The friars in the 13th century, uh, the increasing affluence of the church, where the church, I mean, I think the the clericalism of the church, the church was losing its way. The affluence of the church, the church was losing its way. Hmm. Um, The friars helping to translate what had become a sort of a rule. I suppose that the rural monasticism, which was out of touch with the growing towns, yes. um, so he, Francis's bunch brought an urban possibility for the religious life. Mm. The seventeenth-century Francis de Salle and the Visite beginning to grapple with poverty again, mm. and the poverty of the industrial the beginning of the the industrial shift, and then the fallout from the industrial revolution, the slums and the poverty, came the new Roman Catholic apostolic orders, the Anglican orders. Mm. Um, You know, and the church dragged along and and gradually caught up a bit.
0: Um, Mm. So so do you think there's always been a kind of, so would you think, would you go along with his idea about Luther Um, basically the kind of Anabaptist tradition and some of the more Protestant traditions being birthed by Luther a kind of a lay version of monasticism that was akin to the Enlightenment. Would you go along, do you agree with him about that? About Protestantism being born out of a form of monasticism?
1: I suppose so, I suppose so. Again, with, with Luther, I would have thought that he was also reacting against a monasticism that had lost its way.
0: Right. I'm just thinking about your question there about how monasticism has kind of been ahead of the kind of ecclesial structures of the more kind more of institutionalized church. So, do you do you think that in these kind of cultural changes, it has been monasticism that has, as we said, like helped the church, but almost that it's had a hard time because of it? So that yeah, actually, thought,
1: so yeah. And I mean, I think the, the other thing, Ian, is the way that you are using the word monasticism okay. is very loose. Okay. Ha- is, help
0: me. Help me. How would you define it?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's it's more the religious life. I mean, I remember one of the questions in my general ordination exam was, "What is the difference between a monk and a friar?" Yes. <laughs> um, you know, and the the Franciscans would would hate to be called monastics. Interesting. Because they're not. They're friars. Um,
0: so, what would so, you say the difference was then between a friar and a monk, particularly? What would be the well, demarcation monk, for
1: you? A monk is essentially in his cloister. His essential job is saying the office. Whereas a friar's essential job, and his place is outside in the, the marketplace or whatever, mm. and and his his job is preaching the gospel. Mm.
0: But wouldn't they both draw on the same spirituality in terms of a contemplative they do, but approach?
1: You wouldn't call it monastic.
0: Okay, because monastic
1: is much. I mean, it's interesting because, obviously, the the word is changing in its mm. in its use, and it's being I suppose it's being diluted in a sense, and it's coming to be any kind of loose community, which is essentially what a parish should be.
0: <laughs>
1: no, there's a discussion. <laughs> well, is, and, and I mean, you do get some parishes that are. Very, very few. Mm. But I think that was, the, that was the idea of the reformers, to take the, the treasure out of the monasteries and put it into the parishes. Mm. So you've got groups, parish groups, who uh, were praying the office daily and living the Christian life in a, in a pretty responsible way. Mm. Uh, you then Wesley came along and he underlined that. Yes. You know, the whole class
0: system. Mm. Um, so the modern typology, which I'm just—that's really helpful. The, the, the modern typology. So the modern typology, which I'm just—that's really helpful. The, the, the modern typology that says there is monasticism and says there's two forms of monasticism. One of those is monkish. One of them is friarish. You're saying that is fundamentally wrong from the well, start. Though. I mean,
1: it's—it is—it's a use of of a word that for some of us is a technical term. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Um, I mean, it's interesting when I showed the questions to the community here, mm. um, that was the first, because I did it individually with, with most of them, and, and oh. the first thing that, that all of them said was, But Francis, Francis isn't a monastic."
0: Right, okay. <laughs>
1: But, but, but I'm just saying it, to, because the new monasticism is is, is the accepted term.
0: Hmm. Seems to become but, so.
1: But, you know, if you're writing a book, a good paragraph yes. explaining that is a Yes. I would say it's quite an important thing.
0: Yes. So the basic premise that I'm holding that there is a very deep contemplative tradition that is common to both but one is very much as you said about um about one is about withdrawal which is about the daily office and is about a commitment to prayer often in silence while the other is a sense of a a, a rhythm of life of deep contemplative tradition but where it's lived out in practice and serving the world yeah is that the difference between the two if i got have i got that right
1: I, i would say that that's that's quite useful
0: right Okay, and I'm thinking about the friars then, because please help me with this, because the friars, did did, did they live, because I'm just aware that some people are looking at, you know, they're like holy houses where groups of friars are together serving um, the poor, um, but they lived a a day that was a mixture, again, about having a um, different, I'm thinking about the Benedictine stuff, so there was a sense of work, there was a sense of rest, a sense of community and a sense of um, giving. Is that this... Is that right? It says the sense that friars live some sort of yes. rhythm of life every day as well. So it wasn't just about service, it was about a, a spiritual rhythm where people were balancing worship and yes. work.
1: Yes. I mean I think I think as far as the the Benedictines go, what what they're trying to do is create a space into which people can come. The Franciscans would be trying to create a space from which people could go. Right. Now you look at the history of the Roman Catholic Benedictines in England, the the English Benedictine co- congregation, it's a missionary one. Yes. You know, so many of the, the Roman Catholic Benedictines in England are much more like friars
0: right.
1: than the friars who live at Glasshampton.
0: Right.
1: Uh, you know, so it is, it's a very confused...
0: <laughs> okay, and what would you say that you are in terms of all of this? Would you say that you are more of a monk or more of a friar?
1: I would hope that I'm a monk. Right. So, uh, part of my temperament is more a friar, I suppose. <laughs> um, but no, I think essentially I'm a monk.
0: Okay. So that's really helpful. So thinking think about how you've defined monasticism and looking at friars um, and that whole kind of thinking about the religious life being more monkish but actually thinking about some sort of contemplative basis to some sort of religious life in service. What do you make of all these kind of new emerging and fresh expressions of church like moot and maybe? Do you think they're a good thing or, or you know, what, do you, what would you affirm and what would you question about them?
1: I think I want to affirm hugely Because, I I think, the the heart of the Christian vocation is the new commandment of one another. Mm -hmm. And anything that helps articulate that vocation must be good. Mm -hmm. So that's a strong call to a corporate kind of work. And the other thing that I would really want to affirm is the flexibility. You know, it's, it's let's go with this and see where the Holy Spirit takes us.
0: And and, and, the, and the kind of Christian spirituality that comes with these, because I'm aware that they're into things like John Main quite a lot and kind of practice of Christian meditation, but drawing on kind of maybe some recontextualize of ancient things. Do, do those sort of things feel authentic to you? Mm, they, they do. do. Okay. Because I'm aware that some people are concerned about whether these new fresh expressions... Drawing on essence are dumbing down on the tradition, but that's not a concern of yours.
1: I don't think they're dumbing down at all.
0: What makes you think that?
1: Well, I think folk are getting hooked. Right. And they grow, and it takes it. It's, I mean, it's it's a lifetime of growth, and and folk are getting on to the the conveyor belt in the sense.
0: So it's a hopeful thing for you then, in terms I'm of renewal. Hugely of
1: the church? Right, I think it's hugely hopeful.
0: But just thinking about the structures of the Church of England. There's often, um, I'm aware that things like maybe and home and moot do you have a particularly hard time, in terms of trying to keep going and everything. But would you say that was in common with a, a longer tradition of, of kind of friars and monastics having a tough time with trying to live this out in the context of the wider church?
1: Yeah, and I mean when you look back at the 19th century and the the religious orders in the CFE being refounded. And it wasn't the same kind of tough. It was that the bishops were trying to prevent them. Right. And there's a huge, huge battle with the institution.
0: And what was that largely over at the time?
1: I'm not sure. Okay. The one, one element was a fear of Romishness. Okay. And I think that was quite a strong one. But the other one, I think, was feeling hugely, hugely threatened, mm. because you got these people that were actually wanting to put the whole of who they were into their response mm. to God, not just, you know, the Sunday bit. Right. I mean, they were really taking the gospel seriously, and the church was showing up in a very poor light.
0: And how is that now? Do, do, do you, uh, as, a, as a kind of head of a monastic community, um, struggle with this still? Is there still a tension with the structures of the church?
1: No, I mean the, the curious thing is that in the nineteenth century, people were flooding into the communities, and the the church was trying to stop it. Now there are hardly any vocations, and. We are very much part of the structure of the church. Right, okay. And being much, much wanted by the church. Right. Uh, it's just that we don't have people mm. to be there.
0: <laughs> yes. And um, am I hearing this right? You're getting lots of people who are interested in being kind of third order in terms of having some sort of relationship with you. Um, but then very much continuing in the world, and that the problem in terms of those vocations about taking on the whole of it. Is that the first and second order is the problem rather than the third order? And in fact, some monastic groups, I understand, are really struggling with a number of third order members they've got.
1: Very much so. Very much. I mean, we had this problem when there were six of us life-professed with three novices, I think. We had 22... Professed oblates, wow. twenty-seven novice oblates, and eighty-three people who were wanting to begin as novices. And we were having a struggle just to keep going mm. as the community. Um, and so we took the decision not to have any more oblates. Right. And so we closed the the oblate affiliate. And. In conversation with most of the oblates, I mean, we said we would, we would honour their commitment, uh, but if they wanted to cease to be oblates, that was fine by us. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and and what we I mean, what we said was, if you want to journey with us, you are welcome, mm. um, because. We find that an awful lot of the people who were journeying with us had no desire to be an oblate, they just wanted to journey with us. Whereas quite a number of the oblates obviously didn't want to journey with us.
0: Right. Um,
1: you know, and they were wanting us to be much more traditional than than we felt God was calling us to be.
0: Okay. And is is that because people are wanting to be more of a friar than being a monk, do you think? Is that the is that the problem there that people or, or wanting to focus on the friar model more than on the monk model?
1: I'm not sure that that's true. Okay. No, I think it's more about just, just wanting to belong, right. because, because the parish is not providing a sufficient sense of, of belonging.
0: Well, that's interesting. So in terms of the original vision of parishes taking on the treasures of the monastic system and then trying to do that in some sort of locality, are we saying that that kind of, as a model has largely failed?
1: I think it has in that the church in many places has become a Sunday service Christianity has become attending a religious service Mm. rather than a lifestyle yes I mean there are many parishes which are not like that you know where people are meeting two or three times a day Mm. and, and it's about lifestyle and those churches are growing and doing what they're meant to, do. but most of them just aren't.
0: So it's almost like some parish churches are dumbing down on Christianity in terms of, uh, of the, the religious life, with an overemphasis on gathering and Sunday services. So much more attractional church model rather than a model based on life
1: and mission. I would have thought
0: so. Interesting. I've never thought about it that way before. That's really interesting.
1: When I was talking to a priest on Sunday, and I said that the church that I'd been at last Sunday, oh. the retired priest, had preached a humdinger of a sermon. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. You know, it was honest. It was searching. And and this poor priest said, well, it's all right for him. He's retired. I can't upset my people. Oh, <laughs> Oh <laughs> so, when when my training incumbent was put into a new parish, mm. the bishop who lived in the parish said, "Why is it that we've just read the gospel that the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head, <laughs> and I'm giving John the freehold?" And he said, "The reason I'm giving him the freehold is to challenge you." Yes. He said every free church minister worth his salt that I've known has been got rid of by his people as soon as he challenged them, mm. and I'm putting John here to challenge you.
0: Very good. Um, which he did. And I think I think
1: what fresh expressions of church and community are doing is is threatening.
0: Yeah. And it's I think it's particularly threatening the old this kind of ridiculous binary that goes on the moment with Anglo Catholics on one side and evangelicals on the other, which is a kind of a kind of a détente that I kind of perceived in many dioceses. And then when these fresh expressions come along trying to do something new because they're actually trying to attend to culture, I think then I've, I think I think that the kind of dioceses then start to feel threatened because they don't quite know what to do with them.
1: Yeah. But I mean the, the interesting thing, Ian, when I looked at the two Fresh Expressions DVDs, yeah. something in me was quite surprised that these things weren't about fresh expressions of worship services, they were actually fresh expressions of life. Yes. And that's a different thought package. Yes. And I mean, that's what I find exciting. Yes. You know, and from those things, a fresh expression of worship will emerge. Yes. But, but it's actually the, hmm. the life coming first. Hmm.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think they, the mistake that was made by some is to think that it is about fresh expressions of worship when it's trying to be about trying to build oh, ecclesial commu- ecclesial communities out of contextual mission that we hope that will eventually grow into doing worship. So it starts with mission, growing community, that grows into some form of contextual expression of worship. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I think one of the mistakes of the first five years of Fresh Expressions is that people have been a bit overly concerned about worship when it should be more about mission leading to contextual forms of church. Mm. Which I would argue probably is a, whatever we want to call it, a friar or a monastic, but that is not new, is it? That's something you guys have been doing for a while
1: just alongside that one of the things that I think is is really important in that whole area is space and silence Mm. so that reflection can happen and that's something that I think the new monastic communities being part of that world that's one of the huge treasures that That you can bring Mm. is just that that contemplative element of of silence and space. Mm.
0: No, I have quite a hard time arguing that. Well, I agree with you totally. I was interesting, I was having, um, I was in a discussion with Graham Tomlin, who is now the dean of this new Melitis College in London, and he was saying, he was arguing that actually um, that's all well and good for introverts, but extroverts need a different type of spirituality which often is more of a charismatic sort of spirituality. And that kind of got me thinking. But I actually think he's wrong. I'd be really interested to hear what you think, because I actually think silence and stillness and reflection is important, even more so if you're an extrovert, so that you don't just start believing the delusions of your own thinking and your own, you know, your own thinking and speaking. I don't know what you think.
1: Absolutely. But one of the things that I've jotted down a bit later on... Right. Am I right in seeing this as a new post-secular phenomenon? I think that it's, yes, in one sense it is, but it's also something that happens as people grow older. And I think the the extrovert will go through a period of huge questioning Mm. and in older age come to a much more contemplative, reflective thing.
0: That is interesting because a lot of these fresh. I'm just thinking of a lot of these fresh expressions. You get occasional 17, 18 year olds, but actually the majority into this new monasticism tend to be in their late 20s, 30s, mm. into 40s. Actually, so you see it almost like a life stage in terms of facing the need for contemplation as a yes. as you get older, right?
1: Yes. When, when we moved here, we put three quarters of our library into store because we didn't have any room for it here, and with it went a book that has an autobiographical poem about how she was very religious as a youngster. In middle age, she threw it all over because she realized that it was a load of rot. And <laughs> Then as she grew into older age, she began to realize that there was something spiritual, there was a spiritual element to life, that was something much bigger. And the, the reason she'd rejected the religion in the beginning was because it had so diminished God mm. as to be incapable of being the spiritual being that created it all. Mm. Um,
0: That's great. So, what who was Kathleen
1: that? Kathleen Rain?
0: How'd you spell that?
1: Kathleen. Yeah. And then I'm pretty certain it's R A I N E.
0: Okay, right. Um, that sounds fascinating. Mm. Do you remember the title of the poem? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I
1: don't, I just remember the poem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. So, so so, you do believe this kind of... Because I, because I, it's interesting, there's been a lot of writing coming out at the moment talking, that, talking about how our very own... You know, that sp- secularisation itself has spawned a new post-secular thing, which is where people are spiritually searching, but often where they're seeking um spirituality and not religion or what the Bishop of London calls the ABC spirituality anything but the church. Um, And I think that's what a lot of us are trying to attend to in terms of these engaging with spiritual tourists or and they are tourists in the sense that they're not seeking to arrive anywhere, but because they've been so used to a consumptive culture which doesn't go very deep and also new forms of transcendence being dri- driven by new forms of information technology, we, see t- we seem to be seeing a huge exponential rise in spiritual tourism. So do you think that... Is that something that you're seeing and um, yes. as authentic?
1: Yes. Yes, I do. And I, I, mean, I think that it's, it's something in human nature, and there is a, a, a searching with a question. We got knocked off course, in a sense, with, with the material provision, but yeah. suddenly flooded. You know, there, I mean, coming immediately after the horrors of the two world wars, hmm. there was that r- curious religious revival, which was very religious. I <laughs> mean, it was the spiritual seeking dressed up in religion. Right which then went rancid, because the seeking stopped, and the religion got pretty empty. Mm. And at that point there was this great flood of material wealth, the the rise of the individualism, so everything was questioned. And then somehow that just feels as if folk are are moving through that. And and discovering again that like, there's this, this deeper something. Hmm. And I look at some of the kids outside the gates here and I think actually that's not happening to them yet.
0: <laughs> really? You're not experiencing it in context yet?
1: <laughs> I don't think some of them are. Right. But I do think one or two are. And if they were stupid enough to walk into church on a Sunday, it would be squashed right out of them again. <laughs> yes.
0: So, do you, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking now, given that this post secularization isn't entirely new, because in many ways you could see places like Teze as responding to these spiritual seekers in, in their thousands now. Um, so, it's interesting to see how, I mean, that's, a, that's an expression of some form of monasticism responding to a new cultural change. Do, do you think we'll see forms of, or kind of maybe more of the more traditional? monastic orders responding in ways like Teze? How do you think see the tradition as responding to maybe a culture that increasingly looks like it's spiritually searching?
1: And this is why, how I got to Burford because Robert Atwell gave me the vision of the place as, as being very much like Teze right. and it never happened. Okay. Um, what we are hoping in the new place is that at least we we're not catering for the thousands, but it may be for the ones and twos and threes and fours. Right. But sort of one stage on from, from the tese, um come for a week. Yes. Come for a year, or come for a few months, or whatever. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, at, at worst, they tried the lay community, yes. and that worked for a little while, but then it, it stopped. The the bigger community hasn't really got off the ground, somehow You know. Right. And I don't know. I think it it might just be because it's too rooted in something that that is is past. And, and the weight actually is, is on folks like you. Oh,
0: gosh. <laughs> well, okay. it's, just, just,
1: a it's mm. just a wonder. And I mean, my hope is that that we can be sufficiently open mm. in, in a new guise um, to be of some use.
0: No, totally.